1: giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark.
2: Oh, welcome to a very special grown-and-sexy edition of the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Turn on. getting the mood set oh
0: yeah to
2: the TV's. no i've told my father
3: yeah. Let's take a
2: no I, I didn't tell him that i did not tell my dad that that's weird no i told them stop falling asleep to fox news it is not good for you if you want to watch one show you want to watch Tucker, fine but you falling asleep <laughs> Me talking about this to this music. <laughs> Go on, what did you tell you did No, just stop it. Because he'll, he'll just get, like, worked up. That's why I stopped watching cable news. And we, I've got to interact with it some because of what we do here each day. But, my goodness, that was the healthiest decision I made, to stop watching all those programs every night. I, I have not watched... Uh,
0: in several months, I've not regularly and routinely watched primetime news. Right, I, I'll catch. I'll, I can. I can do internet research and figure out whatever it is I need to talk about. You can access every CNN and Fox story and MSNBC story on the internet. You don't have to watch the shows. You don't have to watch the analysis. And I want to do my own analysis anyway. So, right. I don't I'm, care what Tucker. Yeah. I mean, I do. I I love Tucker, but I can't
3: watch it every night. It it puts yeah. me in a
0: sour mood.
3: Well, yeah. If if I if I know that there's a story, I will tune in simply to see what their take is on right. a story. On a particular story. And and just to see how they're, <laughs> you know, spinning Right. Uh Whatever it is that happens, see uh, that's not what I've been doing. I, I don't watch much.
2: I've been uh, we've been playing records. Some of it, little Teddy. Oh, I'm
1: not there. Not there. I'm coming, woman.
2: I can't pull that off. <laughs> I don't. I can't pull off that vibe. <laughs> like, come here, woman. People just laugh at me. Like you, damby pamby.
3: Oh come on, Joey.
2: Yeah. Well, fair enough. But uh, I I might try one day. But that's what would have been. I read news. I read online news. I'll check out, you know, Drudge Report, and I'll check out what Google has aggregated, and I'll find different websites I like. I like Real Clear a lot. And I'll do some deep dives into a few subjects like you know, geopolitics or like real clear defense. It's really good stuff. But what we've been doing at the house, and I told you this last time, we upgraded Baron from Civilization five to civilization six. Uh-oh. We play records like Teddy Pendergrass. <laughs> A house full of bachelors. I'm not sure this is the album that needs to be on. Oh, well, but my roommate has now got a girlfriend. Uh, and I think that's why he's been... been trying you know, to get her in the mood. Listening huh? to those, you know, rubbing down in some burning hot oils, baby. I hope it's not that burning hot. <laughs> That'll ruin an evening. <laughs> oh, keep the candle wax. Keep the candle on the nightstand. Keep it over there. Sorry, I'm venting. Sounds like personal
3: experience there. Oh, no. No, not
2: at all. I'm just imagining these things. Uh, But playing Civ Six has made me think about America's past. I brought this up when I was covering for you, Baron. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been watching this History Channel thing called Frontiersmen, the men who built America. It starts off with Daniel Boone and some of that's really cool stuff. The episodes I love are the ones with Andrew Jackson. You're, are you a big Jackson guy? Not necessarily, no. But I have to respect what he did. I, I mean, in terms of how he wielded power. Um, but Trump reminds me of Andrew Jackson, and as well as, uh, wait, you know, crazy. Who, you know who would
0: be happy with that assessment?
2: Trump, Trump? Donald Trump. Trump.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trump views himself as the embodiment of George Washington, Andrew Jackson, and. Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> he views
2: himself as the embodiment of all three That's of probably movies. fairly accurate. Yeah. yeah. Washington founded the republic. Trump saves it. No, then the episode, though, after Jackson, you know, second term's up. It was not in law yet with term limits, but respecting the wishes, the traditions set by George Washington. But he gets his guy in there. And this guy, historians say, is the most underrated president, Polk. He calls his shot like Babe Ruth. It's like, I'm going one term so I don't get tied down by special interests. I'm going one term. And he created this list of things he wanted to do. And he accomplished every damn thing in four years. And one of the funniest things... He was the one that... He was Manifest Destiny, right? He was the one yeah, that said, we're going to the
0: Pacific and we're and, holding
2: it. And Jackson campaigned for him. Yeah. Um, and essentially he tells, John, he tells Fremont and Kit Carson is who fremont wanted yep right. and he's like i want you to go to california i don't want you to start a war but i want you to go to california and i want you to start a rebellion and so and then also polk moves the u.s troops up to the border with mexico and this time it does change history can you imagine if california today was completely run by mexico well, the Spanish may have been able to hold it, but but if you if
0: you go back, there's a great book on this, and if you like this period of history, you'll love this book. It's called Blood and Thunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a supposedly a biography of Kit Carson, but it's not the, the, it's not the Blood and Thunder, Dime Store novel Kit Carson. It's the real Kit Carson. Okay. A, a serious historian sat down to try to figure out who is the real Kit Carson. And it talks about Polk's Manifest Destiny and Carson's role in it, and how he had established himself as the best trader and the best trapper and the best uh, scout and all these other things. And then when they task Kit Carson to basically go to California... And no one had ever gone to California across the deserts. Created a trail, yeah. Yeah, they, they created the the the, uh, the Santa Fe Trail, and then they broke off the Santa Fe Trail and went s- just straight across the Ojave Desert to well, California. But then Fre- California.
2: Fremont, they have, they're successful in, like, the Bear Rebellion or something. The book is not kind to Fremont, I'll tell you that. But, uh, well, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Nor is history. But Fremont <laughs> says to Carson, we've won. Send a message back to President Polk. And so yeah. Carson, by himself, starts traversing the desert. And he's, like, pretty much about to die. They're saying the average person needs, like, a liter or a little more than a liter of water a day. If you're traveling the desert, you need that amount in an hour each. And so he's out there for 20-something days by himself getting across the desert. And just by chance, he runs across the Western Army. He runs across General Kearney, And so Kearney pulls rank. You know, and wait, no, you're you're not going to see President Polk. You're coming with me. Right. You're the only guy who knows these lands. So they get back to California, and Fremont has blown the game. Yeah. Like, the Mexicans are coming back, and they're fighting, and it's just this... It's incredible history, but it does make me think in terms of civilization, this game I've been playing. Like, essentially, the United States is like, all right, we have a lot of this continent... We got to take the whole thing. You can't allow another civilization to be on your continent. It's got to be sea to shining sea, and it might be ugly, but take them out. Well, I this, get it. This was in the shadow
0: of fifty-four forty or fight, and they realized they could do one or the other. They could hold fifty-four forty, or they could take Mexico to the Rio Grande, right? And then and then and then hold that all the way to the Pacific. Now to get there, they had to go through Navajo Nation. And the Navajo were some bad, bad dudes. Mm -hmm. Some really, really bad dudes. So Carson comes up with an ingenious plan. It talks about the formation of the reservations and how they're going to pull these people in these different areas. And then they they screw up the water. But Carson's going to go through the Navajo Nation. A lot of people think of Indians as these sort of savages just wandering around, killing each other. The Navajos were prolific sheep herders and farmers. Corn farmers. Yeah. They had hundreds of thousands of acres of corn that they used to feed their people. Carson went and burned them all to the ground, starved them out. And then they started coming out of the woodwork saying, uh, you know, Mr. Carson, we surrender. We're starving to death. Can you feed us? That's how they defeated the Navajo Nation. They took their extremely intricate farming, farming operation and destroyed it, every vestige of it. Uh, there's a great scene. You got to read the book. Okay, uh, but when if this era of history appeals to you, it does. Blood but, and thunder is going
2: to blow you away. Well, here's the number one way it appeals to me. It's like '84. I think you're like the closest. You've actually you grew up on a farm, working land, working with animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have none of that really in my background. Like my family does, but I personally do not. And I look at these like incredible frontiersmen and these. I mean, the history doesn't always shine brightly on them, maybe in political sense. But, you know, like the, the Indian Removal Act, Davy Crockett kind of had a point. I mean, the Trail of Tears isn't a great part of our history. No, but, no, definitely not. But I look back and go, what has happened to men? Like, is, are we still... Like, even the guy who's reminding us of Andrew Jackson obviously gets a fake tan... Obviously, has got his hair quaffed freshly all the time. Like, what has happened to people? Like,
3: It's called Sesame Street. <laughs> Sesame Street? Yeah. You're going to
2: blame Oscar the Grouch and Big Bird?
3: Yeah. I, 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 honest to God, I am. I'm, I'm being stone cold serious Wait, right now. Wait, are you actually blaming Bert and Ernie? It, it, all of the above. The Count? But that's, yes. It's Elmo. Elmo is, yeah, El- is no, Elmo. Elmo's not real Sesame Street. He came along way later. It's late street. But it started in the 70s. In the 70s, what you had were, you had these uh, these people uh, the, the mindset changed in the early 60s in this country. And we went from being conquerors People that went and blazed through the desert and killed wild Indians and, and went from sea to shining sea, built a damn railroad all the way across this country with freaking hammers <clears throat> that were hand-built and cross-ties that were hand-hewn. I mean, we went from that to we got so prosperous that coming out of the 60s, all the— and. and Teachers, please don't get pissed off at me. <laughs> but you know the old saying, if you can do, if you can't teach. And that's a lot of what is being taught in schools. And that, it it melted down into entertainment. And this supposedly, Sesame Street was this, this pure... Television show that your children could watch, and they and yes, they're going to teach them numbers and they're going to teach them letters, but there's an underlying uh, yeah, I can't find the word right now, but they had an underlying cause that they were trying to achieve, and they sissified everybody, and that's when the word feelings came up. Well, and it's and when you start talking about feelings. That's what happened to men. You said it right the first time. Yeah. It was men have been assassinated, and we're not allowed to be men anymore. We're supposed to have feelings. And you know how emotional I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cry every day. I mean, I'm right. I i really I'm more emotional than my wife. But I am still a man. I was raised as a man mm-hmm. by my daddy. My daddy was a man. My granddaddy was a man. And we have passed that down. Sesame Street is what killed this country because everybody's equal everybody's even everybody's the same no we're not the same I'm going to I'm going to blow your mind because I have an answer okay what
0: happened it's, it's not Sesame Street
3: no it is Sesame, Sesame Street is Street. a
0: symptom not a cause the cause is the 1964 Supreme Court landmark case Griswold versus Connecticut what happened between Griswold and the Nutmeg State the nutmeggers did not want uh, Madam Griswold to be able to access birth control pills. Huh. And Madam Griswold wanted to access birth control pills. So she filed a lawsuit against the state of Connecticut. The nutmeggers prevailed. It goes to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court reverses in the case of Griswold versus Connecticut and says, this is a right to privacy. And you have a right to conduct your sexual life in the manner in which you choose. And birth control pills were just coming online. And it leads to these headlines. Now, what is the greatest instinct of man? And if you say to drink water, eat, or breathe, you're lying. What is the greatest instinct of man? Sex. Sex. Have sex
2: with women. Well, and sometimes other men.
0: To find out what women find attractive and comport. Emulate that. Emulate that. Now, here are the headlines from a 2013 study. The Atlantic. Study, colon. Women on birth control pills prefer less... Masculine men. The Huffington Post, do birth control pills make women prefer feminine men? Live Science, women on the pill choose less manly men. The Globe and Mail, birth control pills may make women less attractive to studly males. And what you've seen over 50 years, you have two generations of men trying to act. Wow. In the way that women find attractive when they're on birth control pills.
2: But I'm, I'm sitting... I raised the question, but all those headlines you just read really play into my favor. What do you mean? I, you look at me and go, that's a man's man right there. Hey, you got
0: a beard. You got a full quaff. You know, you... Yeah. yeah maybe. You, you you yoga?
2: Yeah. I do yoga.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. manly, I suppose. A- a
2: <clears throat> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> oh, what was that? But
3: no, no but, but, but my, I had my, some phlegm
0: in my throat. <laughs> my point is that that women are desiring more and more effeminate men, hmm. and as they desire more and more effeminate men through the use, use of birth control, birth control, men become more effeminate because they're trying to get women. Women.
2: I think that's one theory. I think it's also, there's a classic theory, the one of decadence. And I don't know if I completely buy it, but it goes all the way back to like the, the Greeks versus the Persians, like the movie Three Hundred, is you know that's a little over the top. It's a graphic novel a- adaptation, but it's like the Greeks are st- the Spartans are still these manly men, and it's a militaristic society. And the Persians, though they have this incredible empire and have built it over the years, now with Xerxes and a few of these other folks. They just, um, they've become like the silk shoes people, as I believe what Dan Carlin calls it on Hardcore History. They've become kind of, you know, they're too used to the riches of life. They don't want to actually fight to the point where Darius, uh, Darius runs away when Alexander charges them in these great battles. Like, and so maybe the theory goes, we've become so rich, we've forgotten what it took, all the blood, sweat, and tears, living, dying—it took to create that well. Well, and to, to your point, it was only two or three
0: generations ago where a great number of houses in most rural communities had dirt floors and outdoor plumbing. True, my own family. And now, now people Clorox the table before they sit down and eat. They use a hand sanitizer on their hands. Everywhere they go, they shake hands. They use hand sanitizer. They used to use corn cobs to wipe their rump, and they didn't have running water to clean it. Yeah, yeah. and 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 this was this was the reality. We have we have become so over the top, and now we use bidets. Fascinated with cleanliness and
2: nonstop. This. See, but here's the thing: we're sitting here bitching about it. I'm not. But, I'm okay. I like But cool. like. Who doesn't love? I would love to have a bidet installed into my house,
3: dude. I don't want no water shot up my butt. It doesn't go in. It doesn't go in. It well, just cleans I it. I don't know. I've I've <laughs> installed one, but I've never used one. Well, well just
1: you
2: got to turn down that water pressure. So <laughs> you
0: don't want
3: to. You on
2: get. You don't have to lift you up.
3: <laughs> no. Or seriously, if you jump up. <laughs> we put seriously. We put one in. This was like a fifteen hundred dollar oh, yeah. seat. Yeah. That went on top of a standard toilet and it had like heated water so the seat was warm yeah. when you sat on it in the morning. Oh, yeah. Now, see dude, that's where you just elbow your wife when you got to go to the bathroom and make her wake up first and she'll go <laughs> warm the seat up for you. You don't need a fifteen hundred dollar heated toilet seat. But I, I got to look it on it and it had this this remote control. And one of the settings was family setting. What in the hell does that even mean? I mean, is everybody supposed to sit down <laughs> on the toilet at the same time? Or do you just spray through the whole room? Uh, family setting.
0: I think family setting means the water pressure is very low. I, uh, for the I children, don't know. For the children. For the I don't chi- know. For the children. <laughs> See, my problem is I love these luxuries of life. I love. Oh, I, no, I, don't get me wrong. I love it. I just recognize the reality of yeah. it. Yeah. I recognize the reality of it. It's it's making us a little soft.
2: It is making us a little soft. Though I I think it's not gone. Like, when Americans... We tend to... One guy wrote about it. uh, Garrett Garrett. Interesting name. A writer, I think, during kind of the World War II era and the Great Depression era where he talked about America's complex of fear and vaunting. And by that he means... Out of one side of our mouth, we're like, we're the greatest country ever. Like the most exceptional god ordained our constitution he ordained us taking this whole continent and we saved the french from the nazis we did all these amazing like we it's you know we're very proud like we're the greatest best country ever and we want to be made great again we want that feeling and yet out of the other side of our mouth any sort of threat we are very fearful and this isn't unique to the United States. I think it's actually how Rome expands. Like any perceived threat, we immediately are like, "Oh man, we can't deal with that. We better take it out." And I think that still goes on as much as we but are. But is
0: in- that is that America perceive? Is that a, the average American perceiving the threat, or is that the what I call the globalist, corporatist media complex, spinning that fear, instilling that fear in you, so that you'll be okay with a response that is extraordinarily expensive? militant in response, is going to have collateral
2: damage. I, I think you're onto something, actually, because after all... NSA? Yeah. 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 and Well, and I think you're onto something. After World War I, the reason we took so long to get into World War II is because Americans saw what happened in World War I. Why were we over there? And so it was very difficult to get the American population without all these mechanisms that are now modern and came after World War II. Mm. The military learned. The big corporations learned. They figure out how to control the narrative. Then after Vietnam, they learned even more. You can't have that little photo of a girl running away from napalm bombs. Yeah. they control the whole narrative, and well, it's you, bigger you, than
0: war too. You mentioned people not going to war, and and as the as part of the consequence of affluence is we can have uh, a very small percentage of our population fight very large True. wars. But prior to World War One, total war was a non-existent concept. Really, True. Uh, the greatest armies of all time ten thousand people, maybe fifty if you're lucky. Uh, these are Alexander the Great's armies that conquered About 40, the entire 000. world. Yeah, with, yeah, forty thousand people. Uh, World War One, when Kaiser Wilhelm shows up with a million, million and a half men, people are like, uh... And they're regimented. It's yeah. the first modern army. Yeah, like- and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. What, what are we supposed to do here? And so that was the first time everybody had to participate in a war effort anyway. It, it, there had always been where you take the Poor and the subjugated and the enslaved, and you're like, all right, go fight my war for me. We're going to take over the world.
3: And if you, yeah, when this guy when this guy gets shot, pick his rifle up. You'll have (laughs) something to shoot. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're not giving you a gun. Yeah. And well, yeah, and it
2: does change after World War One. I mean, and by regimented, I mean not just the warrior ethic instilled in Germany at that time, uh, but also like down to every detail, like how many people do we have to feed? At what time do we feed? them so how do we run out these millions of human beings across a landmass with food and water and ammunition and and then we're creating weapons that can now shoot from a mile away and it's not like the sophisticated stuff we have now this is just like a huge huge, brute force a gun so big you had to assemble it oh you had to pour a
0: 300 yard pad of concrete to shoot it
2: Right. And it does. I because think, it had to be level. It had to have something sturdy. It took a month to make the gun to shoot a shot. Now, I do it to say, and, and I'm, this is very unlibertarian of me, but of like the most badass armies in history, that first one, the Germans' first army, was like, you do It's amazing. They, it's amazing they didn't they win. Lo- yeah, exactly. It's amazing they lost that yeah. thing. Uh, but then Alexander the Great is pretty awesome, too. Just the boldness of Alexander. Yeah. And, well, and then when you're taught that you're a descendant of Zeus, <laughs> you, know, you end up doing this crazy stuff. But I, I don't now know how
0: old he was when he died. This will make you feel like you haven't accomplished much. Alexander the Great takes over the entire world. 33 years old. Dead.
2: Did he die the same thing as yeah, was it to, Michael Douglas kind of thing? No, no, I
0: did. Well, didn't he go into <laughs> Babylon and and all of a sudden he uh, yeah. You know,
2: he took a lot of women along the way, so maybe he did. And uh, and then if Oliver Stone's to be believed, but <laughs> a lot of men too. Yeah, a lot of men too. <laughs> I couldn't watch that. I like watching that movie Alexander, like the beginning, because yeah. you get that first battle with the Persians, and it's really cool. And then the rest of the movie is like what is it, uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Jarrett Leto just like staring at each other. And like, oh, I'm I'm loyal. It goes from I'm loyal to you and I'm by your side and I'll fight by your side to whoa, that stares lingering a bit <laughs> long. And I know that I'm like, that's just not how I roll. So it makes me a little uncomfortable. Like, it's like any public display of affection makes me uncomfortable. Men, women, men, men. Well, the other one. Keep going. <laughs> women women doesn't make me that <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest.
3: Well, I'm uh, just damn, being I'm honest God. here. I'm just being honest. Well, that's what your show's all about. Just yeah, whatever just, comes out, comes women out. Comes women women, that's what the show's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no wonder you hey, do so high in that well, demo. Well, no, if Howard Stern is <laughs> correct. <laughs> he does have like a... Really large number. Like a 29 number of 35-up women. As
2: Howard Stern said to Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly said, you always talk about lesbians. You have them on your show. And he says, Bill, with my show, there will always be lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. It's so silly. and It's a weird, like, I think there are a lot of comedians who have made this point. That's only a guy thing. Women don't want to come home and find their husband with another guy. (laughs) <laughs> like that is not something women it's a I sure hope not. <laughs> but apparently men and women aren't different. That's just a social construct. I you know I am bowing out of this conversation. No, we'll we'll change it. <laughs> we'll change it. No, but you said Sesame Street ruined the nation, but you know, Dave Chappelle learned from Sesame Street that the count is a pimp. The count is a yeah. pimp? <laughs> I can't I say exactly that. how he does the bit but if you don't get me my money one smack oh, ho, 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 ho. two smack oh, ho, 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 ho. oh wow I don't know what we've done to this show but we have to hit a break but I am wondering like, has America become soft but in a way that will make us react overreact to that fact like, because the wealth not only gives us all these luxuries that make us so speak soft. I don't know if I completely buy the decadence theory. It's more that this wealth allows us to have huge entitlement programs. It allows us to have a military all over the world. It allows us to do all sorts of things you couldn't do before, and I wonder how sustainable that is. That's so my real
3: word you you just you just hit on a word that is my my personal feeling is affluence is what ruins civilizations when you get so affluent and you can go all the way back into bible times and you can read about the israelites that they had 40 years of peace and then they and and now it ties it to they forgot about right. god but they quit doing the things that they were doing Aforehand to get to that point, right? And and actually, of
2: all people, Ron Paul's farewell address from Congress—something everybody should read or watch. He makes his exact point. We've forgotten the values that have created our material wealth. Now we just want the material just wealth. Just the wealth.
3: That's right. It's and, like inheriting money instead of earning money. Yeah. Well, big topics, jokes,
2: honesty about my love for sapphic tendencies. <laughs> This is the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Alongside me tonight.
0: Don't
3: say my name after that line. I don't want it clipped up. Oh, they, Baron know, they, know, your they know your voice. Award winning Baron Coleman. Right by your side. We'll be right back. Incredible. Clark.
2: Welcome back. Some days I feel like this song. Like I've been working from 7 to 11 every night. Life is just a drag and my woman just mistreating me. I don't really have one so it's a But then this is kind of a everyman song. This is a blues song. This is like i work my myself to the bone and I'm not being appreciated in the basic way I want to be appreciated. But the guy singing, it's got long hair and jeans where you can see everything. And you talk about society going to hell. The guy playing that nasty guitar solo is like an occultist. I think he bought like an occult house. Jimmy Page did. And yet they're they're heroes, they're demigods in the rock pantheon. They're weirdos. Yeah. But I really wanted to be Jimmy Page when I was young. I saw him performing this song on a DVD and was like, I wanna do that. Mm -hmm. Now I've grown up, you know. If you believe in it, if you fight for your dreams, you can be anything you want. Bull
3: bullcrap. No, Sesame Street. Exactly. I'm <laughs> telling you, it killed this damn country. Y'all laugh and giggle all you want to. Yeah, but Sesame Street, I mean... Big Bird is the devil. Really? Oh, yeah. Foosball is the devil, Baba Boucher.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. Uh, 272-9228. Let's talk to J-Dub. What's up, man?
1: What's going on? How you doing? Oh, uh, since you've got Baron there, and I missed him earlier today, I was going to tell him he needs to add Whipping Post to his uh, bumper music list.
3: Great song. Great tune. I will put it on there.
1: That is my favorite Almond Brothers song by far.
3: That is a really good tune.
1: Don't get me wrong, since I've been loving you, is right there at the top of my list, too.
2: Both great blues songs about love gone
1: wrong. In fact, it's funny that you were playing that, because my uh, oldest child is a, um, he's a pretty cool kid and the only thing he wanted last year was a turntable so I finally got him one and I found him the uh what is it the physical graffiti yeah on vinyl man yeah. I was like that's a sweet buy.
2: <laughs>
1: but <laughs> well, then I jacked his turntable so I could listen to it <laughs> but uh you guys are touching on um when I was finishing up um uh, psychology work I was writing a thesis on the death of the alpha male mm-hmm. and this falls a line with that like it's when, when I started to pick up on the every kid gets a trophy thing, like, that's when I started to realize, like, they're trying to kill off the apex competitor, and that's, in a way, that's part of the alpha male um, stigma, is that we are competitive, we're leaders, um, some of us are lone wolf leaders, and some of us are pack leaders, but um, <clears throat> I saw it a lot in the military, too, where you could definitely tell, like, you're a combatant, you're your bloodthirsty and hard-nosed combat-related guys, they were all in that alpha family. And a lot of your support class, completely the opposite. Like, you know, they, they needed to be led. And, I mean, not to say there weren't leaders amongst them, but I'm saying... It's just there was a noticeable difference between the guys that came to fight and the guys that came to support the fighter. You know what I mean?
3: I, I, I agree one hundred percent what you're saying. So
1: I wonder
2: what you found because I don't think these those characteristics of the so-called alpha. And I hear you already. You're not. It's not some like red pill. I, I think some people throw around. I'm an alpha male a little too quickly.
3: Uh, all right, there, buddy. Um, but. Now, if, you, if you're an alpha male, you don't have to say exactly, I'm an alpha male.
2: Exactly. So it's like certain characteristics, I think, are have made human beings succeed, especially hyper-competitive thing in politics, in commercial business, and even when you see women who say run a society, they take on the same characteristics. Like it's traditionally masculine, is how we define it, but women who come into power are just as hard-nosed and just as intense as a lot of men. They have to be in order right. to succeed.
1: Well, the way I structured it when I was writing about it was, I and, and you'll probably understand this better because you're in the games at all, there were um, class modifiers that I understood. It was like the lawful good, the neutral good, the chaotic good. Mm-hmm. Like that, that same concept I used when, when I was breaking down what I called the alphas, the betas, and the charlies. And, and it was that you, you have these people that are naturally born leaders. They just have the ability to put it together in their head and see it through to completion. They can motivate. They can um, explain. They can, you know, teach whatever they got to do, but they can get the job done. And then you would have that, like the opposite side of that coin where you have that same Level of drive, that same level of leadership, but it would be completely negative. It would be somebody that's tearing somebody else down, somebody that's using their um, uh, higher power, their higher, you know, whatever they feel their presence is, to, to break other people down. Is where you see a lot of bullies.
2: Yeah, I so est- like essentially, an authority figure can, or say, a father figure in this particular conversation, can be benevolent and really understand how to take care of people, or can be tyrannical. And abuse that power and authority.
1: And I I, I remember seeing this once when I was a kid. Like, this kid on the bus got in a fight, and he got his butt handed to him. It was pretty bad. I mean, he picked a fight. Like, he started the whole thing, and then the kid he picked on just floored him, and it was hilarious. But his dad, um, because, you know, the butt back then the bus driver would stop and tell your parents right away. Like, you know, they fought on my bus. His dad just beat the brakes off him in front of everybody, calling him all kind of names. And I remember (laughs) thinking... How, how, is that, how is that right? I mean, you, you had to be the one that provoked this child into being this kind of kid. Then he runs his mouth and he gets himself beat up, and then you're going to beat him again? Like, that never made sense to me. And you know, so, I mean, like, those, these little events that happened throughout my life that really opened my eyes up to... Um, and I'm going to say this loosely because I don't want to make anybody mad, but I think that the, the, on top of everything that y'all have said, The drive in feminism um, being, I think it got misconstrued. Like, I think women belong in the workforce. I think women are just as capable leaders as men. Where I think the fallout happened was that we all have a different personality. There are things that you're going to be good at that I'm not. There are things that I'm going to be good at that someone else may not. And instead of us focusing people on what their natural traits and abilities were and trying to motivate people into career fields that they could have benefited from and and been beneficial to be in, it was these metaphorical ladders that people had to climb. And you were nothing if you didn't have status. And those that did have status tend to be, they look beneath, you know, they look down upon those that were not. And then so there's this, like, struggle was created. And then the battle in all of that was that the, the men's men started to drop off quickly. And it's it's something that I've noticed even more in the last 10 years when I see, like, my son's generation that comes up. I'm riding through the park a lot of his high school going, if any of these kids had gone to school with me when I was in high school, they would have been in trash cans. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but, I mean, yeah. you just see such a, such a weak-looking group of people that don't look like they could take care of themselves if they had to, where I remember my teenage years... We, you know, we were pissing vinegar. I mean, right. it, we, we were angry kids, and we would fight, and we would play football without pads and slam into each other and think nothing of it. Or, you know, play out in the woods all day, play paintball, whatever. You know, and then nobody well, cared, but and, it's
2: like... And here's one sign of it. Did you all see the recent law passed in Utah? It had to be passed as a law a free-range parenting. Is, they had to make clear that it is legal that if you think your child is competent, they can walk to school by themselves, <laughs> and Child Protective Services won't come after you. Asinine! That's crazy. Absolutely asinine.
1: It's, but I mean, that's where we're headed.
2: Well, it's one thing to prepare a kid for adulthood. It's another thing to try to keep them in perpetual childhood.
1: That's that was where the that was where the ending of the whole thesis became because like i call him my little brother we're not blood related but i mean he's been so close to me for so many years that i consider him family but his mother's like that i mean if she's visiting him he sits on the couch and asks for his drink to be refilled and his sandwich to be made and i'm like are you kidding me get up and make your own sandwich it's Mm -hmm. not your mother's job to make your lunch dude get up take care of her instead make her a drink make her lunch what are you doing yeah, so of course, and, you don't let me come over anymore when
3: she's there that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that you know that goes beyond just being an alpha male that goes to being a responsible parent and, and it's something I've, I've said before and I'll say it again I, I try to raise young adults I want my children by the time they hit 16 17 to be young adults instead of raising a 26 year old child that just got out of college with Thirty-five thousand, forty thousand dollars worth of debt in student loans that have no clue how to, you know, live their life or take care of themselves. I mean, you give them responsibility, and I think you and I talked about this. Yeah, one night. yeah. With responsibility comes that feeling of accomplishment. I've done something. I'm responsible for this. I did it, and that makes a child have self worth. All this. Mm, I almost said it. All this BS about uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you know your 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 self image and all that—that's a bunch of crap. The greatest way to give a child a, a good self-esteem or self-image is make them responsible and yes. hold them and hold them accountable for their responsibilities.
1: Well, I mean, like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you. Were no,
3: saying. that's fine. Go ahead.
1: But okay, so I have a son who will be sixteen in May. Okay, he's in the tenth grade. And he came to live with me full-time when he was 12. And I told him, flat out, I was like, you know, I can be uh, an eagle parent that hovers and watches everything you do, or I can let you figure this world out. You know, to me, that's a more beneficial learning experience, but here's the catch. You are solely responsible for everything that you do. If you bring home a bad grade, you can't blame me, man. you got to blame yourself. Right. If you choose not to study, that's on you. If you choose not to do your homework, that's on you. Your grades will be the one reflection of what you do and what you put into it. And my child is a straight-A student.
3: Yeah, and, and the thing is, though, dub is eventually at some point in your life, you're going to get there. Everything is going to – you're going to be responsible for everything. So why not teach them that when they're young that's, instead well, of waiting until they're in this, their 30s?
1: Because right. what happened to me – was I had, I had experienced some injuries in, during my high school years. And because of the way that our block scheduling worked out, you could only miss six days a semester or you've lost the whole semester. It didn't matter if it was excused or not. And I had I had my knee like messed up pretty bad and I had to have surgery. So I was out of school for almost two months. Mm. And in the midst of that, I got re-injured the following year. So my whole 10th and 11th grade years were null and void. I, did, I got no credit for any of it. So I made a decision to get a GED and join the Army, and then I struggled after I got out of the Army because I didn't know what to do. And it took me a while to put it all together, but when I did and I I became successful, it was because of that realization later in life that I should have had that it it was on me. And when I made it on me and I didn't blame the world and I didn't give a bunch of excuses for why something didn't work out, then I was successful. And go. that was the, the lesson that I teach my kids, is that, you, you know, you can have a pile of excuses, or you can be on the path to success. You can't have both.
2: Amen. Well, I, okay. I appreciate the call, man. Really appreciate it. Y'all have caring. a good day,
1: man. Thanks for giving me so much air time. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> well, now, that's an interesting subject, because when I think it's important when you do take responsibility for uh, your failure and for a lot of suffering. Now, no doubt, the world sucks, <laughs> hey, it often can be very tragic. There's a lot of things that happen, and there's a lot of suffering that happens that you didn't necessarily bring on yourself. Well, what are you going to do about it? You can say, woe is me, you or you can pick yourself up and you try to fight it. And it doesn't mean you're guaranteed
3: everything you want. But well, th- and the, the third option that you left out is, is kind of one of the downfalls from our prosperity and our government is... You can say, "Woe is me." You can pick yourself up, or you can look around for the government to come help you out of the mess that you're in. See, but it's—I it's, mean, it, the, it's not the government's. It, see, it's this not is, their responsibility to take I, care of everything in our lives. I agree with this, but I'd love to see what y'all think about this. <coughs> I hear
2: it from the the right and the left on the economy. This mentality—it's one thing to want jobs and have the ability to take care of yourself and your family and your loved ones. I get, if you don't have that, the anxiety that can create in your life. But sometimes the way people talk about politicians, it's like, I'm entitled to a job. And you do whatever it takes to make sure I have that job. It's like, it's not, whether it's somebody cutting regulations or adding regulations, I don't care if it's left or right, I don't think it's up to those people in D.C. to make sure things are going to work out for you. It's kind of, I almost sound like Frank Underwood. It's like, you are not entitled to a job. <laughs> like, And that's kind of my mentality when people say, Amazon's coming in and they're killing our family business. It sucks, especially for the family business. Walmart's coming in, killed the mom and pop shop. Yes, it did. And if you ran one, that sucks. If you like going to one, that sucks. But what are you going to do about it? Are you going to run to the government to try to fix the situation by controlling other people, or are you going to figure out a new way to make a living? I would say the best way for you, for your community, and the most just way, the freest way, is to figure out a way to do it without trying to control other people's lives. Now, it's one thing if that corporation came in by controlling other people's lives themselves. Well, that's the thing, is if they're competing on an equal playing field
0: and you lose, then you just you lose. lose. But... but- you know, take the small business administration, something people often don't come to and think of. Yeah. Small business administration should absolutely not exist because if I have a tire store and I sell 50,000 tires a month and I have to pay the lights, I have to pay the mortgage or the rent, I have to pay the insurance, I have to pay my employees, and in order to do all that and turn a 8 to 10% a year profit on my return on my investment, I have to sell uh, this $80 tire at $100. But another guy goes to the small business Administra- administration and gets a subsidized low interest loan. And now he can make a profit, he can make an eight to ten percent return on his investment by selling that eighty dollar tire at ninety dollars. And so who's gonna sell more tires? And he's and he sets up across the street from here next door. And we're not competing on an equal playing field anymore. There's right. not equal competition. Walmart comes in and they end up with right. a tax subsidy and they end up with Oh, and I'm against and- all
2: of that. But what happens is people go, those people have the privileges, now I want the privileges. But but that's
0: where you and I differ on trade, because there is no such thing as free trade. Because we operate in a different regulatory environment. And so in order to offset the disadvantage of that regulatory environment, which does create some political stability here at home, but we have to mark up the goods of countries that aren't playing by the same rule, or else... We will
2: create nothing. We will create absolutely nothing. I could go down the road of trade. I actually want to go a different direction real quick in the last four minutes. Is, like, being graceful and learning from suffering and losing. Now, it's one thing to say life sucks, there's a lot of suffering, and it's all right if you lose. And and when that is used as an excuse not to try, terrible. An excuse to be apathetic, terrible. But I, you know... We just celebrated Easter. The the way Jesus goes out from the earth, at least before the resurrection. And it was funny. My uncle's homily was like, "Hey, keep coming back. There's more to this story. There's more witnesses. <laughs> just, it's a to be continued story. This is just day one. It doesn't stop with the stone being rolled away. <laughs> but like, so and it's it's a different type of winning. Where he's the way he suffers and dies and comes back and that that grace of doing that that's one way of putting it but there are other examples from the more frivolous to like socrates is the same way there's an incredible moment where he's been condemned to death to drink hemlock for questioning the gods and corrupting the youth of the city and his friends while he's sitting in jail are like we can break you out And he says no I'm not going to be I'm not going to leave because if I leave and just get out of town what good is all the things I have been advocating for? What good are the laws I were advocating for to change the city if I just abandon the city when they make a decision that I don't like and I end up losing even losing my own life to now the frivolous Wrestlemania 17 (laughs) the way Stone Cold loses to Bret Hart he loses, he passes out in an I Quit match but because he never gives up Because he goes through hell. The way he loses creates people who go, man, that guy lost, but he's the toughest SOB I've ever seen. That sort of storytelling, that sort of way of when you really own your life, own yourself, and even if you lose, it's still an example Those are the best stories and I think the best examples. I think sometimes because of fear of losing economically, whatever, we're embarrassed. Somebody said something mean to us. Uh, Whatever it is, there's all sorts of ways to lose and suffer. People don't even want to go through it. And everybody's a winner. You tried. You tried. But you didn't really try. Because you know you're going to get that trophy. It's really, I think, the best one is like when you don't know whether or not you will be rewarded, and you just go for it the best you can. I don't know. I sound like a stern father, and I have no kids, thanks to birth
3: control. <laughs> <laughs> I it full circle. Don't snort it up your nose. The uh, <laughs> <clears throat> you know one. It was it was a great moment this weekend at the volleyball tournament we went to our, our girls actually won this weekend's first first tournament they've won this season and and one of the one of the moms actually said it they had their little necklaces on with the medallion at the end of the you know gold bracket champion and uh, they said, Y'all earned that. That's not a participation medal. You earned it. And I think it does go it goes to focus. You talk about what you know, you know, Christ went out or apparently went out, you know, being crucified on the cross. Uh, Socrates went out, you know, uh, surrendering his life, in in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and it goes to what your end goal is. It's not for immediate gratification. It is for me to accomplish the task I have. And who are we talking about tonight, thousands of years later? Socrates. Jesus. He, he, he Jesus Christ. We're still talking about them. They accomplished what they set out to do. They accomplished their goals. My question
2: is, will we be talking about stone cold in a thousand years? Uh, You want me to answer that? Because I'll go
0: ahead (laughs) and put it in Sharpie and concrete for you if you like. (laughs) Negative.
2: No. (laughs) I'm not so sure. I said hell yeah. Well, that was a terrible stone cold impersonation. we're, um, We're done.